We want to read some verses from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. We will be turning over to Second Chronicles 32 in a moment, but I want to read some verses at the commencement of this chapter. We will be referring to a verse in this portion later on, but the first part of this chapter as well is the parable on prayer, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, and the parable of the widow woman and the unjust judge. And we have been seeking to wait upon the Lord over this weekend. Today has been a day of prayer and fasting, and may the Lord indeed be gracious and answer our prayer. We have not been coming to an unjust judge. We have been coming to one who is a faithful redeemer, the very opposite. Uh, Our Savior stands in contrast to the unjust judge who is here. And if this widow woman can prevail with an unjust judge, then how much more can you and I not prevail with our, our God and with our Redeemer? So we're reading from verse 1, Luke chapter 18, and we're reading from verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And they brought unto him also infants, that he would touch them. And when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word for his name's sake. We'll just stand for prayer and it gives you the opportunity to uh, change your position. Our Heavenly Father, we do 
thank Thee for Thy mercies and the opportunity afforded to us to come around the Word of God, to worship at Thy footstool. And we pray that Thou will bless our meditation now upon the Word of God. O Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray, and we ask that there will be a word in season to each and every one of us. Do bless, give us help to hear, give me that added help to preach Thy Word. For we pray this night in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you take your seat and turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 32, and as we've indicated, we want to finish out our studies on the life of Hezekiah this evening. We have been uh, considering this good man for quite a while now. I think it's um, possibly in the region of 57 sermons or so that we have been um, working our way through the life of uh, this king of uh, Judah. And we're coming tonight to the end of our studies, uh, at least for this time uh, in this man's life. And what we want to think about is his death and his burial. And there's mention made of this in the very last verse of Second Chronicles chapter 32. It says, And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the chiefest of the sepulchres of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. We'll just finish uh, there. We, we did think about Manasseh there one other Sunday a few uh, weeks ago, that last phrase of that verse. So those words that we have read there in verse 32 uh, give to us some of these details with regards to the death and to the burial of this good man. And in recent studies, we have been emphasizing the importance of ending well. It's important, I suppose, at any time, certainly starting out, that we do well and that we go on, but more important than anything is that we end well. And we know very well that sometimes we can start out and maybe the first steps uh, we stumble a lot. It's just like a little child starting to, to learn to walk. There's many stumbles and many falls uh, before they get up and going and get into the way of walking. And sometimes our, our Christian experience is a little like that as well. We are newborn babes in Christ and we begin to walk. And maybe sometimes there's maybe, maybe uh, an odd stumble, maybe more than an odd one. But how important it is that we end well. And certainly Hezekiah was a man that ended well. And we have been emphasizing uh, that truth with regards to this king uh, over recent times as we have been thinking about him. Now, he died a relatively young man. He died when he was 54 years of age. He came to the throne when he was 25, and he reigned for 29 years. And 15 of those years had been added on to his life uh, by the Lord, special dispensation, as we have noticed as we have worked our way through uh, the life of this man as it is recorded in the Scriptures. But in ending well, there's a number of points that the Scripture emphasizes. First of all, we thought about his might. Second Kings chapter 20 and verse 20 emphasizes that. It says, And the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might. And we were thinking about that uh, as a separate theme on its own. And then there at uh, chapter uh, 32 here of Second Chronicles. In verse 32, there's Hezekiah and his goodness. And it's a reference to the type of a man that he was in his, his later days, his goodness. And then we thought about his feat of engineering. 
because it is mentioned back in Second Kings again about his pool and his conduit. And we talked a little bit about how there was that great engineering feat that was accomplished during the days of Hezekiah. It started out at the time when the Assyrians besieged the city that Hezekiah uh, had the idea, why should the, the fountain, the, the, the fount of Gion, why should it run down the side of the, the mountain, down into the, the valley of Gehenna and, and provide water for the enemy? Why can that water not be diverted into the city? And there was a great feat of engineering accomplished in the days of Hezekiah and subsequent to the time when the Assyrians had invaded and references made there. 533 meters long was that tunnel or that conduit. It was discovered in 1838 by American archaeologist called Edward Robison. And we mentioned that the last time when we were thinking about that, how that even a number of years later, an adopted son of Horatio Spafford, and you'll recognize that man's name, for he wrote the hymn, It is well, it is well with my soul. And after that tragedy that befell uh, him and his wife and their daughters being drowned in that crossing of the Atlantic, um, Horatio Spafford moved to Jerusalem and did a good, a good work there and, and adopted, among other things, adopted uh, some children. And it was one of his adopted boys, a Jewish-Turkish lad, that actually found the inscription on the wall of the tunnel. And they were able to decipher that, and it pointed to the days of, of Hezekiah. So that tunnel existed, and we thought a little bit about that as well. But we come now to these words that are before us this evening in chapter 32, verse 33, where we read about his death and his burial. And there's some things that I want us to, to consider uh, in this regard tonight and in the light of, of the gospel. I want you, first of all, to notice here what it has to say about him sleeping with his fathers. That's the first line that you have there in verse 33. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers. There came that time when Hezekiah went the way of all the earth. That phrase appears in the Word of God. Joshua used it in reference to himself in Joshua chapter 23. King David used that term as well in reference to himself in 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 2, that they were going the way of all the earth. Well, Hezekiah too went the way of all the earth. There came that time at a pointed time when he was going to take his leave of this world and go out into the eternity, and he's going to do that as his fathers had done before him. He's going to sleep with his fathers. And as we know, there is that day appointed for all living, as the Lord tarries. As he tarries, there is a day appointed for all living. There is a day appointed for us. And we cannot go beyond that day. There is a day appointed for our birth, and there is a day appointed for our death. And these things are in the hands of the Lord. And we have had cause to notice that, particularly with regards to Hezekiah, and that the Lord added unto him those 15 years. And the Lord had that ordained in his infinite plan from all eternity past, that he would add on those 15 years to the life of Hezekiah. And he knew exactly the time when Hezekiah was going to come to die. We spoke of that a little uh, when thinking about his son Manasseh and the significance of that son being born that would carry on the messianic line because God was going to work out his purposes in bringing a Savior, bringing his own Son into the world. And ultimately, that is what the Lord is doing. He is working out to the glory of his own name and to the glory of his own Son. And all that he does 
will exalt his own name and exalt his own dear son. But there was a time appointed for Hezekiah to go the way of all the earth. And that's why we are to consider how we end our days. Because of that truth. Because we will someday end our days in this world and exit through this world, exit through death into the world that is to come. That's why we need then to think, well, how am I going to end my days? Am I going to end well? Am I going to end like Hezekiah? He's a good man. We have mentioned that and stated that a number of times in our studies about Hezekiah. He's not a perfect man. He had his stumbles and his falls, and we have thought about those as well. And the Lord records those in Scripture for us for our benefit. But he is a good man. He's a godly man. He's a man that knows the Lord. And we can say of Hezekiah that he's ending well. And especially tonight when we come to consider the words of this verse, we can most certainly say he ended well because the Scripture would bear record and bear witness to that truth, but how important it is to end well. And in ending well, then we have to ask ourselves that all-important question, where will we spend eternity? Because it is only those who have regard for their soul and who make preparation for the world to come that can be said that they're ending well. Oh, there's plenty of people who end their lives, but they're not ending well. They've not got a thought of God at all. They have no thought of eternity. Many die without a thought. Many die with denying the very thought that there is an eternity. That's what they want to believe. That's what they would like to believe. They want to live and they certainly want to die with that thought that there's no day of accounting. There's no judgment day. There's no God to face. There's no answer to be given for sins that have been committed. There's many who want to live like that, but that's not ending well. That's ending as a fool. That's like the ostrich sticking its head in the sand. That's not facing reality. But if we're going to end well, we have to face reality and face eternity and know that there is indeed a day we're going to stand before the God of heaven. And therefore, how important it is that we give thought to those things and that we make the preparation that is required because someday we will sleep with our fathers. We will go the way of all the earth. And we do not know when that day will be. Hezekiah, in that sense, was unique. When the Lord added on to him 15 years and gave him the sign that this indeed was going to pass, Hezekiah became in many ways a most unique man, maybe, maybe a man like, like none other in all of history that knew exactly when he was going to die. He knew exactly that he had 15 years. And none of us know that. None of us know whether we're 15 years or 15 months or 15 minutes or 15 seconds. None of us know that. And that's why the Scripture exhorts us to make the preparation now. There's no promises for salvation tomorrow. The promises are all now. Behold, now is the accepted time, the Scripture tells us. There's no promise for delay because we do not know whether we will be here. And therefore, if the Lord speaks to us and challenges us and makes us to consider our latter end, then that's the very time to make the preparation that is required. Because one day we too will go the way of all the earth. But the second thing I want you to notice here, more importantly, is it tells us that he was buried 
in the chiefest of the sepulchres of the sons of David. You'll see that is the next phrase there in verse 33. He was buried in the chiefest of the sepulchres of the sons of David. Now, there was a practice that was started with David and with his immediate son, Solomon and Rehoboam, and that they were buried in the city of David. They were buried in that part of Jerusalem. Old Jerusalem, as we would know it uh, today, the western part of Jerusalem is the new part. Old Jerusalem is the eastern part. That's where that, that uh, Fount of Gion was and the Pool of Siloam, which is where the, the tunnel connects. If you remember back to what we were considering uh, when we thought about his uh, Hezekiah's feat of engineering, that, that uh, conduit or the tunnel connects those things. That's all in East Jerusalem. Well, also in East Jerusalem, there was the burial place for these kings. And it was a practice that was started with David and then his immediate son Solomon and his grandson Rehoboam. And it continued on. Now, the word chiefest there in uh, that statement that you have in verse 33 uh, means ascent. It's exactly the same word as degrees that we know so much about with regards to Hezekiah. We don't need to turn back to chapter 20 and to the 10 degrees. Remember the shadow went back. The Lord gave him the sign that he was going to live and have added these added 15 years to his life. And Hezekiah prayed for the sign and the Lord gave the sign. And the, the shadow was to go back 10 degrees on the sundial of Ahaz, his father. And that word uh, degrees or chiefest as it is here or steps as it is translated in other places in our English Bible indicates something of that arrangement that that, that the shadow had to fall on some steps and there were more than 10 of them but the shadow would go back 10 degrees or go back 10 steps and it acted like a sundial. Well, that's the exact same word that is here in this particular place that he was buried in the chiefest or the highest so we're thinking about a place that is, that is up high, and there is a burial place up near that pool, the pool of Gihon, as it is mentioned in um, verse 30 there, is the, the place where the name of that water course is found, the upper water course of Gihon. Well, in that part of the, the city, that old part of East Jerusalem, even the western part of the old part, because you'll see there in verse 30, the west side of the city of David is mentioned. That's where the, the water was coming down. But on a, on, a high, on a high part of that area of Jerusalem, there was the burial place of these kings. And that's where Hezekiah is buried. Now, that, that's significant for uh, a number of reasons, because there were some individuals who were not buried. Some of the kings of Judah were not buried there. And I want you to just to turn back in, in Chronicles here to a, a few places, and we'll notice some of these kings. Chapter 21, if you go back there and look at verse uh, 20. So chapter 21 and verse 20, it says, Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and departed without being desired. Howbeit they buried him in the city of David, but not in the sepulchres of the kings. 
So there is a difference as to where some of these men are buried. And the point that is going to be illustrated here to us is that there is a difference in death between individuals. Not everybody dies the same. Not everybody is buried the same. There were kings in Judah who were not buried in this prominent place, this honored place, this place that was known as the burial places of the kings. There were kings in Judah who had reigned in Jerusalem, but when they came to die, they were not buried in that place. David was buried there, and Solomon was buried there, and Rehoboam was buried there, and Hezekiah was buried there, as we have come to notice. But there were other kings, and they were not buried in that place. And it underscores this point that in death there is a difference. Sometimes even in the place of burial and the significance of it. Turn over to chapter 24. And here you have Joash. And chapter 24 and it's verse 25 It says, And when they were departed from him, for they left him in great diseases, his own servants conspired against him for the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest, and slew him on his bed, and he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but uh, but they buried him not in the sepulchres of the kings. So here's another individual. He's not going to be buried in this place, even though it was an established practice. And and many individuals, I can't take you through all the kings of Judah tonight, but I certainly would encourage you to look at it uh, yourself. And if you're reading through uh, this portion of God's Word, it's something to take note of. The individuals who were buried in this place, this honored place, and then the kings that were not. Because they all had something in common. And it tells you there in verse 25 that Joash wasn't buried in this place either. And then chapter 28, if you go over a little bit further, and here we come to Hezekiah's father. Verse 27, the last, the last verse of chapter 28, Second Chronicles 28 Verse 27, And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they, but they brought him not into the sepulchres of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah his son reigned in his stead. So here's three individuals, and it tells us they were not buried in the sepulchres of the kings. And there's something that all three of these individuals had in common. They were ungodly kings. They were ungodly kings. We know about Ahaz because we spoke a little bit about him way back at the very beginning of our studies in Hezekiah. The type of man that he was and the apostasy that he played such a part in in developing in, in in Judah that Hezekiah had to seek to remedy when he came to the throne. And those other men, Joash and Jehoram there, those other individuals that we have mentioned, you go back through those men's lives and you will find them to be ungodly men. And it says they weren't buried in the sepulcher of the kings. The Lord saw to it in providence that there was going to be a difference in those men in in their death. And doesn't it underscore this, this very point that there is indeed a difference in death? All people do not die alike. All the physical circumstances are different. Of that we're very obvious, but... We're thinking about something more than that. 
people do not die alike. The wise man, Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 10, he said, I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. There's a difference. There's those who who die, and they're buried in condemnation. That's the essential meaning of the word wicked in the Old Testament. It's contrasted with being righteous. Remember what Moses told the judges in Israel when that whole system of of justice was set up among the, the Israelites. Moses told the judges that they were to justify the righteous and they were to condemn the wicked. And that's the essential thought that there is in the word wicked in the Old Testament. Now, it takes in the thought of being a sinner as well and a transgressor, but it has the thought of of being under condemnation. There's those who die under condemnation. They die as the wicked. Hezekiah is not such a man, but there were those, even his father, and others before him, as we've been thinking about here, these three men, these three kings, they're not buried in that honored place. They're not buried in the sepulcher of the king. Some of them are buried in Jerusalem. All right, some of them are even buried in what's known as the city of David, which was a particular part of Jerusalem. But they weren't buried with the kings. They weren't buried in the sepulchers of the kings. The Lord makes a difference. There's those who die They die condemned. They die under sentence. Remember what it tells you in Luke 14 and verse 14. It says, Thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, but for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. The Lord's making a distinction. Well, there's a resurrection of all men. We believe in a general resurrection in in that sense, that all will rise from the dead, but not all will rise alike. Not all will rise at the one time either. As we know, the dead in Christ shall rise first. But the Lord there in Luke chapter 14 and verse 14 was making a distinction. He speaks about the, the resurrection of the just. You see, in life there's a difference. The Lord makes a difference between those who are His and those who are not. In death, the Lord makes a difference between those who are His and those who are not. In the resurrection, the Lord is going to make a difference between those who are His and those who are not. For all of eternity to come, the Lord is going to make a difference between those who are His and those who are not. John 5, verse 29 says, And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And there's that thought of, of condemnation again, under a sentence of damnation. He says there's those who are going to come forth, and it's going to be for them the resurrection of life. They're going to be all those who will rise when Christ will return. The dead in Christ shall rise first. It's a resurrection unto life. But then there's a resurrection unto damnation. There's a distinction And as we're thinking here tonight of of Hezekiah, there's a distinction that God makes. But Hezekiah is a godly man. He's a man that knows the Lord. 
And it tells us that he's buried in this honored place, not only just in Jerusalem, but he's buried in, in this place where there's the kings that, that are buried. They buried him in the chiefest of the sepulchers of the sons of David. The chiefest, the highest of these, these graves, these tombs. Maybe it is in, in reference to the man that he was and what he accomplished in his life. And he accomplished much for the Lord. Right back from where we began with that work of reformation that he sought to instigate in the land, and bring the people along with him, right the whole way through all the ups and downs. Maybe it is a reflection on his life that he was buried in the chiefest or the highest of those sepulchers. Up the side of that, that rocky end plain. But does it not also indicate to us something else here that in life there's either a going upwards or in death rather there is a going upwards or a going downwards. And Hezekiah is most certainly going upwards. Do you remember what he said? It's a little while ago now that we looked at his testimony in Isaiah 38 verse 17. Behold for peace I had great bitterness but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Hezekiah has been delivered from going downwards. He is a man who is going upwards. And even with regards to the place of his burial, it's upwards. It's up on those higher places. It's up among the very chiefest, the very highest of those sepulchers for the kings that were buried among those sepulchers of the kings. Hezekiah is going to be in one of the highest. And even these physical details that are given to us in the Word of God illustrate a spiritual truth. There's either a going upwards or a going downwards. We're either going down to the pit or we've been delivered from the pit and we're going upwards. Well, Hezekiah is a man who's been delivered from the pit. That's his own testimony. We don't have to surmise about that. And how good a thing that is that you don't have to surmise about somebody. Sometimes there's people who die and you hope for the best with regards to where they are. They haven't really left a testimony. They haven't left a clear testimony. Or maybe they were familiar with the things of God and attended services and attended a place maybe where the gospel was preached but never left any clear testimony. There's many people who die like that. but not, not Hezekiah. We don't have to have any doubts about this man. This man has said, the Lord has delivered him from the pit of corruption. He has cast all his sins behind his back. He leaves a clear testimony. And how important it is to leave a clear testimony. That's part of dying well, ending our day as well, that we leave a clear testimony. And nobody has to surmise, nobody has to hope for the best. But it's clear. We know Christ. We're trusting in the Savior. With the experience of the new birth. We've testified to that. Our lives back that up. And therefore, when we come to die, people don't have to surmise and hope for the best. They can state clearly, here's a man. He's been delivered from the pit of corruption. The Lord has cast all his sins behind his back. 
Well, such a man as, as Hezekiah. It's a few years ago, I was over, if you remember, preaching in Suffolk at the little church that Dr. David Allen attended, or attends. And I remember speaking to him at that particular time, and he, he was telling us that one of the Sundays that he had preached uh, recently, as I say, it's a couple of years ago now when this happened, but he had preached recently in that place. He was a member of it, not the minister of it, but he was a member of the congregation. But there had been somebody who had died out of that congregation in that very circumstances. They hadn't left a clear testimony. And that Sunday that he took the meetings, he took the opportunity to say to the people, you make sure you leave a clear testimony when you come today. Let it be clear where you stand with the Lord. And as a result of what he said, there was actually a a lady who made it clear that she had come to Christ and testified as a result of what he said about the need to leave a clear testimony. No ambiguity, no doubt about the matter at all, no need to surmise. And as a result of what he said that, that day, that woman testified later on, just shortly afterwards, that the Lord had really challenged her heart, that she needed to make it clear where she stood with the Lord. Well, where do we stand with the Lord tonight? Is it clear? Is it clear and obvious where we stand with the Lord? Well, it was with Hezekiah. And as we come to the end of our studies with regards to this man, we can say that of a, of a truth. Here's a man, and it was clear where he stood with the Lord. Here's a man, and it's clear where he was going. He was going upwards. He's been delivered from going down to the pit. And the reason why he has been delivered is that there's a ransom that has been found. He's not going upward because he was a good man. He's going upward because he was a redeemed man. Those words of Job 33, 24, where it says, it's the cry, then he is gracious unto him and saith, deliver him from going down to the pit, I have found a ransom. That's how we're delivered from going down to the pit. There's a ransom that has to be found and paid on our behalf. And only when that ransom is paid can we ever go upwards. And Hezekiah is a man who's going upward. They've buried him in the chiefest places, chiefest of the sepulchres of the sons of David. The third thing I want you to notice there is the next statement. It says, And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. They did him honor at his death. This is why I I think that it's possible that he was buried in one of these high places, these chiefest of the sepulchres, in acknowledgement of what this man accomplished in his life because of what it says now, that all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor in his death. That's quite a commendation with regards to this man. People remembered what he had done, and they honored him for it. Now, it's interesting to remember what the Scripture tells us about who you honor. Psalm 15 and verse 4, that psalm about the righteous man, it teaches us that psalm that the righteous man only honors those that fear the Lord. Verse 4, in whose eyes a vile 
person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. That's the mark of a righteous man. A righteous man will honor those that fear the Lord. We will not honor those that deny the Lord. Even in death, we will not honor those that deny the Lord. Those that, as is described there, is a vile person who is contemned, who is contemptible in their life and by their lifestyle and how they have lived. The Lord says a a righteous man doesn't honor them. Oh, he may pay them respects in their death, acknowledging the sorrow and sadness that comes to a family in, in death, but there's going to be no honoring of such a person. No, the Lord says a a righteous man, the righteous man, doesn't do that. There is to be the honoring of those that that fear the Lord. Well, here we have uh, an example of such a situation in Scripture. There's a man who's honored, and he's honored for the right reasons. He's honored because he fears the Lord. And as he has come now to the time when he has died, he has slept with his fathers and they have buried him. And it says that all Judah and Jerusalem did him honor. Because he was a man that feared the Lord. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 15 for a moment. There's an interesting connection made here between honor and humility. And you'll remember that the Scripture tells us there, even in that portion that we have been thinking about this night, Second Chronicles 32, and we've thought about that chapter so often over recent weeks and months. But it tells you there that Hezekiah humbled himself. Maybe I should remind you of that, because that will give even added significance to this statement in Proverbs that I want to turn you to. But it says Hezekiah humbled himself. When challenged about the the wrongdoing that he had done, he humbled himself. He didn't resent it. He didn't reject it. He received the rebuke that came to him from the Lord, and he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. Well, if you look at Proverbs chapter 15 and look at verse 33, the very last verse of this chapter, it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Before honor is humility. Well, if you want, if you ever mark your Bible and, and think of some of those uh, proverbial statements here in Proverbs and you want to put in a, an example of it in Scripture, well, you could certainly put in the life of Hezekiah there against that statement at the very end of this chapter of Proverbs. Before honor is humility. For those two very terms are found in the life of Hezekiah. He humbled himself when he was challenged about his sin and about his wrongdoing. And at the time we said, it's the mark of grace in a person's life. Not that they are sinless, for nobody is sinless other than Jesus Christ. It is the mark of grace that when we sin and the Lord challenges us, we accept it. We don't harden our neck against it. And Hezekiah was such a man that he humbled himself. And then we discover the honor that comes. That in his death, in his burial, they honored him. 
And I think, to me, it seems that they, they honored him by giving him this, this special place where they buried him in the chiefest of the sepulchers, the highest of the sepulchers. That's how they honored him in death. And then you come to a portion like this in Proverbs 15 and 33 in those last few words, and it says, before honor is humility. Before God will ever honor a sinner, he's going to humble that sinner. Before we can ever expect any well done from God, we're going to have to humble ourselves, take the sinner's place, Acknowledge who we are and what we are before God. And that's why I want you to turn over then to that portion that we were reading in Luke chapter 18. Maybe you've picked up on the text that will tie in with what we've just been saying here. Because here's a man that it's said of him, this publican, although it is told as a parable, it may well indeed have happened that these two men actually did exist. But the Lord Jesus is telling it as a parable. And there's the publican. And he's got a sense of his own sin. He's standing afar off. He won't lift up his eyes onto heaven. He smote himself upon his breast and he cried, God be merciful to me the sinner. You have all that in verse 13. And then look at verse 14. I tell you. Here's the Lord emphasizing. I tell you. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And then the Lord makes this statement, For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Well, here are words too that could be applied to Hezekiah. Not the first part of that statement, he that exalteth himself shall be abased. That's going to be the the individual who's hard of heart. That's going to be the individual who won't take rebuke and who won't listen to the Word of God and who won't acknowledge their sin. That's what's going to happen to them. They're going to be abased. They're going to be brought down. But no, the second half of that statement, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Hezekiah is such a man. No one to humble himself. And as a result, exalted. Not, not only exalted to some honorable place in, in burial, but exalted into glory. And for the individual that humbles themselves and takes the sinner's place, that's where we will be. That's what will happen to us. We will be exalted into glory. Hezekiah is a man who's in heaven. Not because he was a good man or anything he did. But he's a man who has come to know Christ. He's a man who's come to trust in the ransom. And may we end our days in just the same way as Hezekiah did. And may the Lord bless his word and speak to us even tonight from it. And I trust that as we have worked our way through the the life of Hezekiah, that there's been profit for you and your own soul. And even as we come tonight to the very end of our studies at this time in the life of this man, may we be able to say we're going upwards. We're going home to glory. When our life's work is ended, 
when we cross the swelling tide? Is it going to be the case we're going to see the king? Well, may that indeed be the case. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that we might end well. And as we have thought a little again about Hezekiah and how the Scripture describes his end, and these statements that we have stopped for a little while and pondered tonight, we pray, Lord, that the truth of them will not be lost in us. May we be those, O Lord, who are going upward. We have been delivered from the pit of corruption. And more than any honor in life that we'll have the honor of Christ in death, we'll be numbered among his people. We'll hear the well done of God. O Lord, help us. Help us to live for that end. If there's one unconverted in this meeting tonight, bring them to Christ. If there's one listening at another time, Lord, unconverted, bring them to Christ. We pray that they might know the ransom being applied to their own lives and to their own souls, that they too might go upward. Bless thy word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.